So with bifurcated appraisals, hybrid appraisals, desktop appraisals, and probably soon to be flyover appraisals, where in the world is this business going? What is the future of appraising? What is the future of appraisal regulation? This is Brian Reynolds with the Appraisal Update, brought to you by Appraiser eLearning. I'm speaking with Mr. Jim Park, the Executive Director of the Appraisal Subcommittee. Jim, what are your thoughts on this topic? Hi, Brian. First of all, uh, thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast today. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share my personal views, and, and these are my personal views um, regarding your questions today. Sure, sure. I wish uh, I wish I knew exactly uh, how to predict the future of, of both the uh, appraisal or evaluation profession as well as the regulation of it. Uh, it's it's moving quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in regard to changes to appraisal or um, I'll use the term valuation because I think appraisal, um, AVM, hybrid, all these different terms are coming together and the real term that probably is most appropriate is is valuation as opposed to to appraisal. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, in, in recognizing how quickly these things are are progressing, the subcommittee, uh, both in 2018 and, and uh, in 2017, hosted roundtables uh, with industry participants to discuss exactly these topics, the, the future of uh, the evolving real estate valuation landscape and and how uh, that's going to impact consumers, the finance industry, regulation, and so forth. Six representatives from 43 federal and state regulatory agencies, private and nonprofit organizations. Uh, We made sure to include significant representation from the appraiser community. Uh, we also had AMCs, secondary market participants, um, the GSEs, rating agencies, and, and it focused on a uh, treasury uh, treasury report that came out uh, last summer on fintech. And if anybody hasn't read that treasury report, covers a lot of ground and there's only a few pages that are dedicated to uh, to valuation, but it's important. And if you'll just go, if you'll just Google uh, treasury report, appraisal, FinTech, it'll, it'll come up and, and you can take a look. Right. right. Now, that was, in, you said in 17 and again in 18, do you have another one planned for uh, 19? Yep, we're in the midst of, of making plans um, for uh, to continue the discussion. 
this past year in 18, the, the real basis of the discussion, as I mentioned, was this Treasury report. Uh, the Department of Treasury gave a, an overview of, of their thinking. Basically, what the, what the report highlights is how uh, non-banks, uh, which were the focus of this report, are moving forward pretty rapidly with uh, more and more technology in the valuation space and uh, you know the rest of the market needs to needs to recognize that uh, as well as regulators and and how do we how do we make sure that technology is being fostered but at the same time not getting ahead of, of regulators so that uh, there's risk being introduced into the financial sector that uh, we're not prepared to handle right so it's really and important that regulators stay abreast of of these changes uh that the uh that the marketplace is innovating yeah and this is this is what we're talking about today jim is really a hot topic because you know there's there's a lot of fear out there for appraisal practitioners um you know i have folks ask me all the time i mean is there even going to be appraisers in the future we're going to have robots doing this job and so it's a um it's a real it's a real hot topic and then we get in with these uh what what a lot of the folks perceive as new products and they're really not new at all <laughs> they may be new to some some of the appraisal community out there but uh, desktops have been around for a while hybrids have been around for a while even the bifurcated's been around for a while but it's it's new to a lot of the 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 industry participants that you know we get in the routine we get in this rut of doing everything the same old way and one thing's for certain is we're in some interesting times and things are going to change I mean there's no question about it yeah things are things are changing as we speak uh, I've been in this business for for over thirty years and. The specter of AVMs and in technology has always been there as long as I've been in the business. Uh, but I think we're finally reaching that that point uh, where technology has now reached a level where it's clearly usable in the marketplace um, okay. and. Yeah. Uh, one of the discussion topics, one of the primary discussion topics at this roundtable was the importance of integrating human, the human element and technology. Interesting. Valuation of properties is not purely a mathematical process. Uh -huh. There's a reason that people talk about appraisal being both art and science. But of course, yeah. every profession is both art and science. Right. Whether it's medicine, whether it's law, whether it's, um, you know, uh, accounting, there, there's some art as well as science to. Sure. You know, I, I, I remind appraisers that science, you know, all of this data that we now have, um, how do you incorporate that without you losing that, that human element? Should there be standards for the data? We have lots and lots of data out there. Um, should there be standards for how that data is used in the marketplace? 
Um, should appraisers have access to more data? You know, it used to be that the appraisers were the data collectors, and we were the ones that held that information. And that was a big um, aspect of why uh, of our value to the process. Now we've got data aggregators. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. When I started in this business, you had to go you had to go to your uh, <laughs> real estate company and and ask them to see the comp books and the listing books, and they were you know, about the thickness of a, a three or four yellow pages put together. And you, you had to literally thumb through there and find your comps. And now we have that information at a push of a button. Uh, so the technology and the the ability to use scientific tools and in, in regression and, and, and data analysis is, is fantastic. But, you know, Dr. Sanders Kahn, one of my favorite authors, reminds appraisers that judgment is your sharpest tool. So, uh, you know, I remind my students frequently that, you know, I, I don't think the future of appraising is going to be the demise of the appraiser. I, I think what we do and what we have to offer is so critical. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to measure something that is simply immeasurable. But I we've got to do the best job we can. We're trying to measure human behavior for crying out loud. And that, that certainly can be a challenge. So what are your thoughts? Um, and, and I know you were at the roundtable, and we'll, we'll bring that back up toward the end of the podcast because that, that's intriguing to me. Um, what are your thoughts about the hybrid appraisals? We, we can go into bifurcated as well. But, you know, that's one of the areas that a lot of appraisers are really pushing back. It seems like a lot of the industry is wanting to promote those uh, but most of the common boots on the ground appraisers say, no, I've got a real problem with that. Well, it, it, it's an interesting concept, and I can see how it could be beneficial uh, in terms of turnaround time uh, and, and issues like that that I believe they're trying to uh, uh is the root of why they're why these bifurcated appraisals are now coming to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who's managed large appraisal operations and uh, spent a lot of time ordering and um, retrieving appraisals from appraisers, uh, I can see where it could add a certain level of complication. Now you've got to deal with an inspector. You've got to deal with the appraiser. What if the appraiser doesn't agree with the inspector. Right, right. Um, now, the the one argument is that appraisers have been relying on third-party inspection data forever in terms of, of, of our appraisal reports. However, I think the difference here could be that now you're bringing another party into a transaction. When you're relying on the county assessor's records, when you're allowing, relying on what the MLS says, eight uh, appraisers, experienced appraisers, know how to put that information in the appropriate context for the market where they're appraising. But now you introduce a an inspector. Well, to my knowledge, there's no standards for these inspections. There's no qualifications to be an inspector. Uh-huh. There's no 
standardization in terms of what has to be reported um, other than I guess what's on the the uh, appraisal uh, report forms um, so I think that there's complications there and we're already starting to hear about states starting to weigh in um, in certain aspects of this debate over concerns about uh, some of these inspections and whether they actually are part of appraisal practice or not. Does the inspector have to be named? Um, right. So I, while I think it could, if it's done correctly, I think that there could be advantages to everybody concerned but I have to wonder if there doesn't have, if there shouldn't be some standards and qualifications established for those, for those inspectors. And then once you do that, is it really any cheaper and quicker? Yeah. Yeah. There there's, you know, I, the appraisers that I talk to, you know, the, the everyday appraiser out there appraising houses for refinance and, and purchases, their their primary concern with the hybrid, well, you know, they don't like the fees, which that's a separate, entirely separate issue. They don't like the fact that they're relying on someone else to be the eyes of the inspection. And and personally, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, you know, I, I argue that when you... Uh, when you appraise a new construction, you're basing your opinions on plans and specifications and, and you're tying your opinion to that. If, if later they don't build the house, they said they were going to build, which happens all the time. Let's face it. I mean, how many builders strictly adhere to the plans and specs? I mean, they never deviate from plans and specifications, right? Uh, they probably almost always deviate to some degree, uh, but and appraisers feel comfortable with that. And it's, it's probably because we were taught to do new construction that way. We've been doing it that way for decades and we feel comfortable doing that. But the thought of relying on somebody else to go out and look at it and then me do what in essence is a desktop appraisal, right? Um, I think the pushback is, is because of who's being sent out there. You know, the, if they send a trainee out there, they may have, a train that trainee, uh, or if maybe we do call it an inspector appraisal observe, you know, observation, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, you bring up a, a, a lot of interesting points is that do we need to regulate those folks? So I don't know. I, I, I do know the future is going to change because we live in a world of instant gratification. There's an app for everything. I mean, the first thing that we as human beings do these days when we pick up our when we wake up in the morning is we grab our phone <laughs> and um, and so the the time the time is uh is the big issue you mentioned cost a moment ago and and while we won't talk about fees per se should the should the fee for the appraisal go down i mean if it's quicker uh if they're able to to use tools and and and, and scientific analysis at their disposal uh, the theory is they can do more. Should that cost to the consumer go down? Or my my pushback has always been this is um, 
this is probably the biggest asset a consumer will ever have in their lifetime. I mean, why should we keep beating these fees down? Everything else is going up. So um, what, what's been your exposure on the, on the cost of these new or innovative products? Are they, you know, Brian, I haven't been exposed uh, much to the cost aspect. I do hear quite a bit from appraisers in terms of complaints about fees in in general. Sure. And the downward pressure on fees. Uh, ultimately, whether this is a cost-effective, cost-saving model, I, I think only time time will tell. And I'm not sure if it's been... Uh, tested enough or piloted enough at this point for uh, for folks to really know. But in my opinion, the appraisal, the valuation is such an important part of uh, the financial decision for individuals, whether they're or companies, whether they're buying single family home or an office building or some other commercial property. Uh, that the professional or the system providing providing that number uh, should be should be paid adequately um, so that we have the right people in in the business uh, providing appraisals right and, and I think appraisers one of the big challenges for valuate uh, for the valuation profession for the appraisal profession is how we keep up with technology and how we continue to add value to technology it's almost like things have are starting to flip where you used to think of technology adding value to to the appraiser in some ways we have to think more and more about the appraiser adding value to the technology that's out there I like it. I like it. And, you know, the consumer is more informed these days. I mean, uh, we used to rely on real estate professionals, both both agents and appraisers, for all the information. As you said earlier, they were they were data collectors to some extent. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, the the information, the data is readily available for the consumers with a click of a button. You you mentioned a uh report to the treasury earlier and 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 you you said you could google it and so our listeners if they did that may have that document in front of them right now that's that's how uh, easily accessible data is now let me ask you this jim do you think do you think that uh i, I know a lot of the concerns with the appraisal community is here we go again you know we we in the in 2008 you know we had liar loans <laughs> you know you could just come up and say uh you're the loan officer would say you're self-employed jim so uh all you got to do is tell me how much you have sterling credit all you got to do is tell me how much money you make and you know if you make sixty thousand dollars a year wink wink we can make the loan i'll see you at the closing on friday now if you don't make that uh, you don't qualify so all you got to do is tell me we're not going to ask for your tax returns. We're not going to ask for your bank statements. Just tell me what you make. And as long as it's 60, you know, so, so there, a lot of that was going on. And then, then we had the crash, uh, that we had the housing crisis 
it's hard to believe that's been 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, prior to that, if you look back in the 1980s, we had the savings and loan crisis. Uh, a lot of a lot of practitioners out there are are you know are raising their hand and saying, "Look, with all of these." products that you guys are trying to put on us. And I, when I say you guys, I don't mean you, Jim, <laughs> but, but the industry is trying to do quicker and cheaper. And here, are we, are we headed for another housing crisis? Well, um, only time will tell if we're headed for another housing crisis, but having lived through the last one and uh, having worked for a wall street firm at the time and seeing, seeing it up close and personal, I will, tell you that that there does uh, seem to be some similarities uh, today that that we saw back in the in the years running up to the to the crisis but it's kind of the natural cycle of things Uh Um, I read reports that delinquencies and foreclosures are at historical lows so that when you have that kind of a, a marketplace, it's going to elicit players taking more more risk. It's I think it's kind of a natural a natural way of things. It's just how far does that risk taking go? How far are the regulators going to allow lenders? Uh, and now we've got non banks that are more than over fifty percent of the marketplace in in uh, residential mortgage lending. How uh, how far are they going to push the envelope in terms of, of taking risk? So only, only time can tell, but uh, uh, I, I think it's, I think I can safely predict that delinquencies are going to go up in the next few years from where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's, let's talk about that. Just, just quick. It's funny that uh, I actually started in this, in this business, I started in mortgage banking and I was a, we call ourselves loan consultants. Uh, I was actually a collector. <laughs> so if you didn't pay your mortgage payment, I was the bad guy calling you, right? And uh, so so I've got a little experience on, on the collection side, foreclosure side, REO side, bankruptcy side uh, of dealing with consumers. And, and it really is a, you know, you've got some folks that just don't care. You know, they walk away and they don't care that they, they made a contractual agreement. But most of the folks that go through that, they really don't want to lose their house. And we've come a long way in the mortgage industry, you know, back from the days when you had adjustable rate mortgages with no ceilings. You had uh, uh, buy-down loans or graduated payment where there was no no annual caps. They they literally had payment shot. So let's talk about that real quick. Uh, there's, there's, when FIREA came out, that was a consequence of the savings and loan crisis of the 1980s. When's the last time FIREA has been updated? Or has it ever been updated? Well, it, it has been updated uh, a few times um, since 1989. As I mentioned earlier, this this is the 30-year anniversary of, of FIREA, in Title 11 specifically, which created our, our system. Uh, the most notable update probably was in 2010, uh, the Dodd-Frank Act, which gave the subcommittee additional authority. It set up the appraisal management company, uh, registration and supervision re- regime that uh, the states and the appraisal subcommittee are now um, uh, bringing to fruition after uh, after all these years. Uh, 
Um, but I, I think after 30 years, um, it's probably time to, to take a wholesale look at Title 11 and see if it serves the needs that Congress intended uh, 30 years ago. You know, is it protecting the consumer and the financial sector the way it was intended? Um, when Title 11 was first enacted, the vast majority of transactions were considered federally related transactions. Uh, and the whole basis of the system, the authority for the appraisal foundation, the authority for, for the appraisal subcommittee are based on federally related transactions. And due to uh, increases in the de minimis and uh, exemptions that were put in place after FIRE was passed, we're now in the realm of somewhere around five to ten percent of the transactions are actually federally related transactions. So, did Congress really intend to have a robust system like this? that essentially addresses five to 10% of the transactions. Now the licensing and certification has taken on a life of its own to a degree, because although uh, the Fannie and Freddie transactions, loans that are qualified for sale to Fannie and Freddie, for example, are not considered to be FRTs, they, uh, Fannie and Freddie still require appraisals unless they issue a, a, an appraisal waiver. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that some consideration may be uh, due to be given to, to revisiting Title 11. Maybe, maybe time to take a, a closer look at that federal regulation and see if it, uh, I don't know. I mean, of- I'm asked all the time about should there be, more of a driver's license system in the United States. Ah. And should, in other words, should the federal side of the equation have more authority? Um, should the federal side of the equation be removed? Should licensing be strictly in the domain of, of the states? Um, occupational licensing typically is a, is a state process. And while there may be federal input or federal oversight, um, there's more federal oversight in the appraisal um, regulate the, the appraisal regulation regime than there is in most. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is the appraisal foundation structured appropriately? Do they have proper oversight? Um, should use PAP and be tied to changes to USPAP be tied to the funding of the foundation in any way, shape, or form. I think these are all things that need to be examined um, to see if there's any significant changes or tweaks that need to be done to uh, to improve the system. You know, Jim, if if some of our uh, listeners are interested in getting involved, uh, you had mentioned the roundtable that the ASC put out. Uh, to discuss what we're talking about today, you know, we've, we've got a 20, 25 minute conversation 
and uh, and we can't <laughs> answer all the all the world's problems today with appraising and appraisal regulation. But if if some of our listeners wanted to participate in that roundtable, and I don't know if it's open to the public or not, but at the very least, if they wanted to to maybe write a letter and get their their views um, put out there. How could one do that? How could how could one of our listeners get involved if they wanted to participate in something like that? Well, the the roundtable is a uh, by invitation. Uh, if you have listeners that are interested, they're more than uh, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, hear them out if they'd like to uh, um, if they'd like to participate. Um, Probably the best way to uh, to get involved is by getting involved with some type of professional appraisal organization. Um, a lot of states now have coalitions. Yeah, it's one of the biggest problems we have right now is the fractured nature of the appraisal profession itself. We have multiple organizations. Um, there's a lot of divisiveness uh, in the in the profession, and we're small as you know, to begin with. You know, maybe seventy thousand, eighty thousand appraisers out there uh, in the United States, whereas there's over a million real realtors. Um, hundreds of thousands of accountants. Uh, so we're, we're a small profession and we need to work together uh, to, um, to get things done, you know, the benefit, the benefit, uh, not just appraisers, but, you know, those that they serve. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny. Someone once said that motorcycle clubs are more organized than appraisers. <laughs> and if if you think about it, that's probably true. I mean, look at all the motorcycle rallies around the country. Uh I ask appraisers often how if if we're in a live setting and and there's 20 people in the room, how often are you around this many other appraisers and they say uh, once a year or once every two years when I have to take my CE class, that's about it. You know, so we, we really do need to come together. We need to get involved. And, and it's just, it's, it's a challenge because we're all very busy people and appraisers. The definition of an appraiser is one who is acting independent. <laughs> so we're, we're used to being independent and not collaborating or coming together, but absolutely. I think those are, those are uh, very good comments and very good recommendations for our listeners. If you want to make a difference, get involved. And, uh, and you heard Jim say, let him know if, if you have something to say, Jim, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how do they do that? Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can get you can do so at Jim J I M at ASC dot gov, or you can also reach me by phone at two zero two five nine five seven five seven five. Happy to take your call. Mr. Jim Park, Executive Director with the Appraisal Subcommittee. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is Brian Reynolds. This is the Appraisal Update brought to you by Appraiser E-Learning.